This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Arizona Senate has censured Senator Wendy Rogers. Yeah, Wendy Rogers was shaking but defiant on the Senate floor today. At what point does this stop? if ever, and at what point do enough lawmakers really stand up? Why don't more people just say, really, really say this is wrong? This censure is nothing more than an attempt to limit my speech. I represent hundreds of thousands of people, and the majority of them are with me, and they want me to be their voice. You are really censuring them. I do not apologize. I will not back down. And I am sorely disappointed in the leadership of this body for colluding with the Democrats to attempt to destroy my reputation. When will we no longer be willing to allow one senator to jeopardize the reputation of each and every one of us, of the Senate, of the entire institution, because we know this person through their tweets. What we do not condone is members threatening each other, to ruin each other, to incite violence, to call us communist. We don't do that to each other. State Senator Wendy Rogers, a Republican nominally from Flagstaff, has been among the most prominent voices lying about the results of the 2020 presidential election since it happened. But her bombast goes well past political puffery. After the recent massacre in Buffalo that police believe was at the hands of a white racist, Rogers crossed a line in vague social media posts that fueled a conspiracy that the slains were part of a federal false flag operation. Nearly all her state Senate colleagues voted for an ethics investigation, but they limited their scrutiny to a seven-word post after the slangs, in which she noted that Fed Boy Summer has started in Buffalo. They rejected a Democratic measure to immediately expel her. The Senate Ethics Committee is scheduled to meet today on the investigation into Rogers and her tweet. Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and AZ Central. We speak with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're talking with Brian Levin, a national expert on hate and extremism at Cal State University, San Bernardino. He'll tell us how Rogers and the rise of extremists in Arizona compares to what's happening more widely across the country and why it's happening. Before he does, we want to add some context to how we got here. 
The state Senate formally censured Rogers after her February remarks to a conference organized by white nationalist Nick Fuentes, in which she called for more gallows to make an example of unspecified traitors to the country. About that time, she posted a meme smearing the long-running Conservative Political Action Conference, or CPAC. In it, Rogers showed herself and Fuentes aside a slain rhino, the slur for Republicans in name only. The rhino had the acronym CPAC written on its side, with the inside part of the A made up in a Star of David. The unsubtle message was that Jews controlled CPAC, if not all establishment Republicans, and that people like Rogers and Fuentes were thinning the herd. After the Russian invasion of Ukraine, she called Ukraine's president a globalist puppet for Bill and Hillary Clinton and Democratic donor George Soros, who was Jewish. She even vowed to personally destroy Republicans who had turned against her to censure her. Rogers, who's a member of the Oath Keepers Militia Group, is by far the best funded Republican in the Arizona legislature. And if there's any doubt about her stature in GOP politics in Arizona, remember that Republican Governor Doug Ducey, who helped fund an effort to elect her in 2020, has refused to directly condemn her. Instead, he has memorably said that she was better than a Democrat, a sentiment he has not updated. Here to help us make sense of all of this is Brian Levin. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Trafficking in conspiracies or giving comfort to racists is nothing new for Wendy Rogers at this point. But this latest matter combines both and feels like a bigger test for Arizona Republicans. Is it? Oh, I think it's a test for politicians everywhere. We have an unbroken stream of various extremist indicators. Let me just rattle off some of them that I'm sure your listeners and readers already know. Her association with Nick Fuentes, who is a white nationalist or called by the feds a white supremacist in charging documents relating to a person who headed his America First chapter over at UCLA previously. She speaks quite supportingly of the Oath Keepers, and it appears that she's associated with them. The Oath Keepers are a group that is now among the ones that have the most defendants in the January 6th insurrection. Her statement about Fed Boy Summer, this conspiracy theory with respect to Buffalo being a false flag operation by federal agents, and let's not forget her full-throated defense of replacement theory. Last thing, her statements regarding hanging people and uh, really not just criticizing American institutions, but wanting to undermine them. If you had to have a textbook checklist of what we had when we were founded over two decades ago, and there's what do we fight? Bigotry and those who promote conspiracy theories, as well as calls to violence. This is different than being a conservative person of goodwill. And what I would suggest that you you look at some of the great Arizonans that came before, Sandra Day O'Connor, whatever your feelings were about her, try to gain consensus on the Supreme Court. Or one of the greatest political speeches ever by John McCain, his concession speech, 
when he uh, gave the victory to Barack Obama back in 2008. That's what Arizona, I think, stands for. Arizona stands for a place that is diverse, leans independent, leans conservative, but a conservative of goodwill that will cross the aisle. That being said, what we have with assemblies and state senate is a general tradition of making sure that the public's vote is sacrosanct. However, I do think it's certainly appropriate to examine those who are elected but are undermining the institution, not because of their political views, but someone who has calls to violence, attacks the very communal institutions which hold us together, consorts with white supremacists and Holocaust deniers, and poses next to anti-Semitic symbolism, as well as promoting in her various statements respecting bankers versus Christians. It's something that I think should certainly be within the purview of your institutions to evaluate in the same way that bar membership. Uh, We can't deny someone bar membership because of their political view, but they seek to undermine the institution of the bar. That's something that bar authorities have the right and indeed the obligation to examine. I think the same thing here, although I do believe that we have to be careful when we implement measures that replace the will of the voters. I understand that. But we are also not required to sign a blank check that membership within a legislature entitles you to make war against it. And indeed, her statements with regard to the insurrection uh, suggest to me that she might be constitutionally on thin ice with respect to uh, her service. Uh, But in any event, it doesn't matter. She's a disgrace to the legislature, and not because of her politics, but because of the extremism, conspiracism, and anti-democratic impactors that she has been behind. You've compared this to bar membership, where it's not something that should just be extended as a matter of fact, that there is also some character assessment that goes into the equation on this. Let me put this more bluntly. What are the stakes? It's tragic I even have to ask this, but what are the stakes of giving a seat in the halls of the legislature to someone who harbors racist, xenophobic, religiously exclusive agendas? Is the cost something like the occasional mass shooting in a country where we have too many of those to begin with? Is there some sort of legislative agenda that you think is is more troubling? What is truly on the table here? Thank you. And what a great question. Look, people can take conservative and even racist views and implement them into policies. It happens. This is something different. It is not merely her position, which are loathsome as they are, but her underlying contentions resting on the most anti-democratic conspiracy theories, her rebellion really against the communal institutions, which she has upheld an oath to protect in the same way that the military could exclude someone or a police department for not only having these particular beliefs, but acting on them behaviorally. Although I guess you could be a closet bigot 
and still not declare war on the very institution that employs you. But I think that she crossed the line that reasonable people like a John McCain would recognize. Look, John McCain voted against the Martin Luther King holiday. Ronald Reagan launched his campaign in Philadelphia, Mississippi. But there was a line when out and out white supremacists and anti-government extremists would give their support to them. Ronald Reagan criticized the Klan. And indeed, John McCain, when he was giving his concession speech, after he said he disagreed with President-elect Obama, pledged his ability to work with him because there was something bigger. So what I think is difficult here is that, frankly, white supremacy belonging to illegal militias who have taken part in the most violent attack on our U.S. Capitol in recent American history and her continuing embrace of eliminationist fatal type rhetoric, which has effects downstream, I think represents the kind of irresponsibility that is not by virtue of a political position. People of goodwill can say, hey, I disagree about immigration. And I think there are issues with regard to resources and government expenditures, as well as other things. But this is different. This is someone who believes that government should somehow advance an extremist agenda that includes calls to violence, that hobnobs quite closely with anti-Semites and white supremacists, in the same way that if there was someone on the hard left who supported the weather underground, I believe that this is someone whose actions deserve scrutiny as well as the underlying contentions she has for undertaking them. Bottom line is, it appears to me that she's declaring some kind of combat against the very institution that she has taken an oath to preserve and uphold. Hey, producer Kaylee Monahan here. We're just taking a short break. If you're enjoying this episode of The Gaggle, consider supporting us by subscribing to this podcast. Also, you can subscribe to the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com, which allows us to bring you more conversations like this one. As always, thanks for listening. And now back to the episode. a sense as to how Arizona stacks up in the realm of extremist politics at this point, sort of nationally, where do we fit in the big picture? We've got people like Republican Congressman Paul Gosar. We have Kelly Ward. She's the chairwoman of the Arizona Republican Party. Mark Fincham, state Republican lawmaker who um, is a big proponent of undermining and overturning the results of the 2020 election. And they're all really known for their incendiary comments and their affiliations. Are other Republican-led states facing these 
kinds of characters or are we sort of breaking ground here in 2022? No, um, there are other states, but I, what I would say is like in baseball and Arizona knows baseball. Okay. You're leading your division in extremism. How about that? In other words, you look at uh, when I do things with regard to Wisconsin, when you look at Pennsylvania, when we have an election denier who just won uh, a primary there, this is something that unfortunately is spread throughout the country. But let me just say, I do think your governor, and we're nonpartisan, by the way, but your governor in failing to really take the highest moral ground and not condemning her root and branch in the same way that Rick Scott over the weekend on national television, uh, and and he's from Florida, by the way, for, for you home gamers, when he refused to condemn candidates who embrace white supremacy, I think Liz Cheney had it right. This is a fight for control of the moral high ground of a party we need for governance. The voice of conservatives of goodwill, like John McCain, like Senator Portman, who I had the privilege of appearing before, who, by the way, voted against impeachment. But these are people that know similar generation that I'm that I'm in. My father was a POW captured by the Nazis in World War II. And there was a core of respect with respect to the institutions and processes of a pluralistic democracy and the role of the United States in promoting stability around the world. Reagan knew it. McCain knew it. A variety of Republicans today, like Senator Portman, knows it. And what I'm concerned about, from the silence at the top, then the cacophonous clanging of loose cans at the bottom to condemn these folks. Brian, these things are usually laid at the feet of former President Donald Trump for normalizing the outrageous, it seems. But political extremism has a long history going back to the John Birch Society, Father Charles Coughlin and others. As an academic who studies these things, what do you make of Wendy Rogers and the rise of this kind of politics more broadly? Do you see them as sort of isolated brush fires that pop up from time to time? Is there a through line with all of it? No. All the social science indicators that we look at are flashing a deep amber sign that is repeating itself. Threats against election workers, threats against members of Congress have been on an increase. In addition, what we've seen are these cascading strata on social media where certain jokes and memes and villains and stereotypes are allowed, maybe diluted and sugarcoated a bit, and then they cascade down to these more uh, affinity-based encrypted platforms, which are these echo chambers. And at a time when we have a pandemic and we have issues with regard to social media, What most of the folks that you had referenced before, John Birch is not his father. Cochran certainly had a a national radio audience in the 1930s. But what we have now is a consistent and unbroken stream of communication that can be manipulated, by the way, not only by domestic malefactors, but by those in Russia, which we documented back in a report in 2018. So people are online more, they're isolated more, and they're belonging less to a political party as much to a subculture 
that exploits certain fears. Dr. Robin Williams of Cornell said there's this printed circuit of stereotypes, and I would add conspiracism, which labels a constellation of villains that are legitimate targets for aggression within a subculture. And just bear with me to show you how this works. One of the things that we did, we broke down, we disaggregated FBI data on day by day, month by month, week by week, and annual ticks over decades. Worst month for hate crime in uh, last decade, November 2016, election month. Second worst month. Oh, and by the way, there was a plot to blow up a Muslim apartment complex on the day after election, which also happened to be the worst day for hate crime in 13 years. Let's move on in that decade. What was the second worst month? October 2018. What did we see around that time? We saw the Tree of Life massacre and a double racial killing in Kentucky. Also, interestingly enough, when we saw those caravans on some news channels during the summer, and we saw this repetitive, repetitive stigmatization of immigrants, we saw hate crimes against Latinos surge during the summer of 2018. What did we see later in the year? We saw it surge against Jews around October and November, hitting the highest levels in years and the Tree of Life massacre. So what I'm saying is this kind of political rhetoric, which is so attached and repeated from the extreme underbelly of the socio-political subculture, is getting mainstream legitimacy. And unless we have people like Governor Ducey or Rick Scott say, you know what, I'm a proud conservative, but there are certain things about conspiracy theories with regard to demographics, or, or, or with respect to Ukraine, that we're just not going to accept. When we have people who are repeating the kind of conspiracy theories that are promoted here by Russia, that's something. So unfortunately, what we're seeing is politics mainstreaming and being intertwined with an industry of division. And it's sticky. One last quick thing. June 2020 was the worst month for anti-Black hate crime. And it was when we saw these conspiracy theories about BLM and Antifa coming to your home. That being said, we should have raucous debates, but there is something about these atmospherics that is worse than what I've seen as far as the mainstreaming in over three decades that I've been doing this. So how much does, from your vantage point, you talked about social media there, how much does like mainstream legacy media or cable news media contribute to this, if at all? Oh, it, it contributes heartily. You know, when I went on Fox's air during the social justice protests and criticized Tucker Carlson and his deceptive use of language and, and data in particular with respect to police violence and blacks, and he is the number one on that network. And what I'm saying to you is he is someone who promotes replacement theory and is a much bigger wheel. Uh, than Ms. Rogers. So what, what I'm saying to you is there is an industry and it's different. It's not saying that, hey, there's demographic change that takes place in a country. And there are issues with regard to how young our population may be or what a nation can afford or something like that, which is what you used to hear. <laughs> Remember as well, one quick thing, FAIR, an immigration group, hired people and contracted with them who wrote essays on how Latinos are inferior. So what I'm saying to you is there is nothing but a cesspool when it comes to debates about immigration policy, because when it were, when it were white Europeans 
coming to the United States with similar issues, by the way, in the last half of the 20th century, you didn't hear that. It was only when we saw uh, certain kinds of change take place, and not necessarily due to immigration, by the way. The bottom line is we're seeing conditions being exploited with respect to fear. That fear is an amplified, and the villains include a constellation of folks, which include Democrats, uh, people of color. It's not about issues because you know what? We have a shortage of people willing to do many of the jobs, including caring for our elderly. So the bottom line is this was never recently a debate about real policy, but it's one where groups like FAIR, which is founded by a eugenicist, hired or contracted with someone who in their venue wrote about how Latinos are inferior, are getting invited to testify before Congress. So what I'm saying to you is there is a quicksand on which Ms. Rogers resides. And unfortunately, that quicksand is really not only affecting political parties, it's affecting the institutions of which these political parties are key components of. Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on The Gaggle and and outlining your thoughts on all this. If people want to know more about what you're uh, weighing in on these days, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Prof Levin. That's also uh, for our Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism. That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. And I'm at Yvonne Winget. Today's episode was edited and produced by Kaylee Monahan. You can follow her on Twitter at Kaylee Monahan. That's K-A-E-L-Y-M-O-N-A-H-A-N. Do you have questions about Arizona politics? Or maybe there's just an issue or a question on your mind as we head into a pretty turbulent election season. We want to hear from you. You can now send us a note or voice memo to thegaggle at ArizonaRepublic.com. We look forward to hearing about the issues that matter to you. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Also, be sure to check out other podcasts such as Valley 101 and The Lab. Find them wherever you get this podcast. For The Gaggle, I'm Ron Hansen. We'll see you next week.